I'm your host, Dr. Karen Can, author of the number one bestseller, Sensitivity is Your Superpower, How to Harness Your Gifts, Fulfill Your Purpose, and Create a Life of Joy. And this week, I have great pleasure to have my friend and amazing brainiac here, <laughs> Ken Rolla, back on the show. And today, we're actually not going to talk about pyramids. We're not going to talk about engineering or scalar energy or Ormus today. We are actually going to be talking about aliens or, as other people say, dimensionals or non-human beings. I don't know, whatever you want to call it, because Ken, when I was visiting him and his beautiful wife, Pepe, he was sharing with me some experiences that he has had around the topic of being an alien contactee, for lack of a better word. And I had, you know, some of my friends have, you know, seen like close up even ships and things like that, but to actually have a conversation, not so much. So Ken was the one of the first people that I heard of who actually really had this ongoing conversation. And some of the things that he was saying was amazing because some of the information that I got from source over the last few years about what was happening, what's going to happen, I really didn't believe it. <laughs> But uh, as things have rolled out over the last little bit, and uh, what Ken told me, it was like, OMG, so many synchronicities. Um, So, Ken, as I'm, you know, taking my boots off here, getting into my house, uh, I know you're in Florida, you're like, boots. Uh, Yeah. So, (laughs) if you could share with us a little bit of your background for folks that are just listening in, like, who is this guy, you know, like, you know, is he he some, you know, psychic or whatever? (laughs) Or a nut job. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. What's your background? Because, you know, your background is really based in science, and I want to make sure our new listeners know about that before we get into some of the juicy stuff. Yeah, and, you know, I was raised very much a in a regular, normal, as far as normal goes on this planet anymore, family, you know, kind of a white bread, white boy, southern guy growing up in North Carolina back in the 60s and 70s. And... uh you know, a very average kind of childhood, but um, but I was having unusual experiences, at, which at the time I didn't realize that everybody didn't have. And so, you know, I, did, I think I wasn't raised by hippies or anything like that. I, did, I wasn't raised in any kind of an environment that would foster any kind of unusual paranormal activity. Um, but um, so, yeah, I you know, I grew up kind of a normal life in North Carolina and um and then I went off to engineering school when I got out of high school and um studied electrical engineering and then when I got out of school with the conventional uh, engineering training you know I believed what I was taught I had no reason not to but I started bumping into people that were working with advanced technologies that defied what I was taught in school and at first you know, occasionally I would bump into stuff like that and think that, oh, this is just a bunch of nonsense. For example, I was um, at, actually at the farm where I encountered some ETs, which we can talk about. I um, met this guy who was demonstrating uh, Rudolf Steiner's work making what are called Steiner preps. And this guy took a cow horn stuffed full of cow poop, dumped it into a five-gallon bucket of water, and spun it around 
with his arm back and forth, vortexing it back and forth, back and forth. And he did that for an hour. And then he said that, uh, you know, if, they, if we now if we take this and we dilute it and we spray it on the land, it will treat the land and everything will grow better. And at the time, because I believed my conventional engineering training, I thought, this poor deluded guy. <laughs> you know, this guy just doesn't know anything about physics or chemistry or whatever. And the truth is, I was the one that was deluded. I didn't. There was a lot I didn't know at the time. So I came from a very, you know, mainstream, normal background with training in engineering and science. And I get out of school and I start bumping into little instances like that of things that didn't make sense. And I initially, of course, dismissed them like pretty much any scientist or engineer would. And um, but I kept bumping into it more and more until in the uh, 90s I wound up um, going to a conference actually where a friend of mine was speaking uh, at in Colorado called the Global Sciences Congress. It was a five-day conference on all this esoteric suppressed stuff. And uh, at that um, event there was a guy there who claimed to have free energy technology, uh, water fuel technology. And so that got me interested, and I wound up uh, working with the guy. His name was Dennis Lee, and uh, he was working with a guy named Yule Brown who developed water fuel technology. And um, Brown was a brilliant physicist. He wound up, unfortunately, being assassinated over it. But they were filling stadiums of people up, showing, demonstrating this water fuel technology. And they got uh, Department of Energy officials interested in it. Well, actually, I should say they invited Department of Energy officials to demonstrate the technology with teams of engineers and physicists and measuring equipment and all that kind of stuff. And the DOE officials couldn't wrap their heads around it, and they just thought it was a scam somehow, (laughs) even though they had no evidence. Well, or they were told to think of it as a scam. Yeah, and they also invited senators and congresspeople and, you know, all kinds of folks to watch this. And uh, wow. the Congress people got all excited and went back to their constituents to see about getting funding to develop it. And they got shut up and stopped and uh-huh. all got depressed. But that was my first introduction to kind of esoteric science. And, um, and because it attracted a lot of heavy-duty scientists and engineers and inventors uh, that were involved in all kinds of stuff, I got to see a lot of different technologies that defy our conventional um, education in science and, and physics. So that was that was kind of the beginning of it for me, uh, as, as far as my educational background and kind of waking up. But as it turns out, I'd been having contact my whole life and didn't really realize it, which we you know we can get into. So it's kind of a little bit about my background. You know, it was very much kind of normal through college, and then uh, really I think a defining moment for me also along the way when I was in college, <clears throat> was reading the book Seth Speaks, um, which was some channel material uh, by a lady named Jane Roberts. It's really phenomenal information for anybody who hasn't heard of it. But um, I was at a, I was actually in school at Arizona State University, and uh, a friend of mine from back home in North Carolina came out to visit his sister on the far side of Phoenix. And so he invited me to come to a birthday party, and so I went. And I'm at that birthday party, and the husband of the host uh, started talking to me and asked me, you know, about my background. I told him I was in electrical engineering, and 
he said, oh, um, and I told him I was interested in quantum physics and that kind of stuff. And he said, oh, if you're interested in that, you should check out this book, Seth Speaks. And so he gave me his copy of it very graciously. And uh, so I took it home. I got home like 3 o'clock in the afternoon, and um, and I started reading it, and I couldn't put it down. And I wound up staying up until 4 o'clock in the morning <laughs> reading this book, and I read the whole thing all the way through. Because there was all of this stuff in this book that I had always believed and had never heard outside of myself. And there it was in writing. And so wow. that was like a a big revelation about the nature of reality and consciousness and that kind of stuff. It's a lot of really fascinating information. And so that got me aware of this idea of channeling, this concept of channeling. I had never, you know, I always had all these crazy random ideas flying into my head, and I just thought it was, I thought everybody did that. I didn't realize that wasn't the case. And um, so I started wondering if this, uh, you know, if these ideas coming out of left field were um, maybe coming from somewhere else rather than just, just from my own mind. And so I started talking to and then, believe me, I know this sounds delusional, but I started talking to the voice. I guess you'd say my inner voice. It wasn't like I had voices in my head telling me to do things, but it's like, you know, that inner voice we all have, I started talking to it as if it was a third party. Yep. And Because and, it's just random. I'd be doing random stuff. You know, I'd be like, usually it would happen, believe it or not, when I was in the, in the restroom, because uh, that was one of the few times when I would slow down enough where I was not, you know, in like focused on something else in 3D where my mind was distracted. And so I'd these you know like I'd get these visions and downloads and stuff. And so I I started talking to this voice in my head as if it was a third party and saying, you know, you know, who are you? Where are you from? And to my surprise, they identified themselves as extraterrestrial, which I didn't believe. I just thought I was having a game with myself in my head. Huh. But um but so wait, 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 wait. Go, go back a little bit and say. So exactly what did they say to make you think that they were extraterrestrial? Well, they said they were ETs. <laughs> they oh. said uh, they, they said term? they were. Yeah, they said they were extraterrestrials, and um, you know, and I would, I was, I was always my whole life. I was always getting ideas. Like for example, I was, I was, you know, an IT geek working at a computer facility. And uh, I was doing technical support, and I, and I, I'll never forget sitting one day at my desk, and the screensaver on my computer came on, and it was drawing fractals on the on the screen, and I get this download that that's how the universe is structured, the multiverse. And I'm like, where's that coming from? You know, I mean, I definitely don't sit around thinking about fractal universe, <laughs> so the <laughs> random stuff like that would come in, and so yeah, so. And it would come into pictures in the form of pictures or audio, sometimes words. Sometimes I would actually, like, pick up conversations of other people. Like, I'd be driving down the road and see somebody off on the side of the road somewhere, and, like, I could tune in to their thoughts and their, and like, what was going on in their life, and I could see their life and their family and stuff. It was, like, crazy. Wow. And I had no idea if it was real or not. I didn't know, you know, if what I was tuning into was actually legit. It was just I thought my mind was making it all up. I just thought I had a fertile imagination. So when I'm getting all these bizarre downloads from the left field, I, you know, start asking, you know, where's this coming from and 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 you know, having these voices occasionally would tell me stuff or just a sentence or two or whatever. 
And so, um, yeah, so I asked, you know, who are you and where are you from and that kind of stuff, and they identified themselves as extraterrestrial, which, like I said, I didn't believe. <clears throat> I just thought I was having a game with myself in my head. But um, but I pursued it, and um, it was just so interesting that I figured, well, you know, it's an interesting game. We'll see where this goes. And uh, so over time, they gave me a lot of information. And, and my whole life, I had gotten downloads and had kind of paranormal experiences that gave me a very different worldview about things. So growing up, you know, I was always definitely the oddball, you know, especially in my family. I mean, my family were very grounded and normal. And I just had a very, very different worldview about things. And um, I realized later it was because I, I'd had um, many downloads in the dream state. As a matter of fact, I had contact sometimes when I, would, when I was sleeping uh, at night. Uh, sometimes just uh, psychic contact, sometimes physical contact. But at the time, I didn't realize it because I just grew up having these really, what I thought were really vivid, colorful dreams. Um, but very vivid, you know, <clears throat> almost um, hyper real, and um, and to this day I remember them vividly. But they were, you know, they were very, very colorful and very vivid and very memorable. And I got information in these dreams, and so that gave me a very different worldview. And I found out later that uh, when I actually had physical contact and um, and I was having more contact with these ETs, that they were putting me into what they called holographic inserts to basically to put to to give me information um, but also put me in a environment where I wouldn't be afraid. And so so yeah, so I would, I would have these really vivid dreams like um I had this one dream where I was I was probably about 12 years old and I dreamt that I was in this <clears throat> very brightly lit white room or space. It was kind of like it was reminiscent of uh, sometimes in movies where you see these scenes of heaven portrayed where it's like, you know, up in the clouds and everything's white and there's no walls or anything. It's just this vast distance of white. And that's kind of what it was like and um and off in the distance I saw some object and I walked toward it and as I got closer I saw it was these shelves. It was these glass shelves that were kind of like it reminded me of um of tape shelves that we used to use in the computer business for storing tape drive or tapes, um <clears throat> computer tapes. So anyway, there's these shelves, these glass shelves, and I get up closer to them and there's <clears throat> you know Probably it's probably a twenty foot long set of shelves from you know maybe floor from the floor up to maybe six feet high, and all on these shelves there's pairs of what look like large glass doll's eyes you know they were like they looked like they were the size of human eyes, but they were, they looked like doll's eyes and they were very pretty they were very colorful, and there would be pairs of eyes sitting on these shelves, wow, different colors, yeah, and I just thought, well, this is really pretty. And I walk up to the eyes to look at them more closely, and when I would get up close and look at them, they would start downloading all this information into my head. And so it was like a really bizarre experience. And so I'm just walking around looking at pairs of eyes and marveling at the pretty colors, and I get these downloads. And I didn't remember when I, you know, when I was done dreaming, I didn't remember what they were. But at the time, it was very profound. 
and so but that would like unconsciously it would color my beliefs about things and my worldview. So I was yeah, I was always the oddball and you know, and everywhere I went because I just had a very different way of looking at things and a world, different worldview and different conceptualization of things. And so so then fast forward to college and um oh and by the way in that dream, interestingly enough, the way I woke up out of it, um I started feeling wet all over. And I thought, this is bizarre. Why am I feeling wet? And then I snap out of the dream. I wake up, and I'm laying in the backyard of our house in the grass, and the dew on the grass got me wet. And so that woke up. So somehow out. you had made it outside? Yeah, and I've never slept walked, never before <laughs> or since, you know. So I don't think I was like sleepwalking. Grounding. I think I got picked up. <clears throat> and I think they put me in the backyard intentionally so that I would know that this just wasn't some dream. Ah. Um, so I had a, I had a few instances like that where I would you know wake up outside, but uh, that was that was the first one, and um, so that told me you know there's something more going on here than just a, a dream, and it was so vivid, you know the colors were so vivid. Um, so you don't so remember had, what they downloaded per se, like literally, because you kind of forgot, but mm-hmm. then it kind of colored your perceptions for the. You know how you thought about the world after that. Is that did exactly I get that right? Yeah. Okay. It's just like intuitively and unconsciously, when I would encounter something, I would just have a belief about it that was not based on anything in my waking life. And so, um, and then later, I, you know, as I started having contact, physical contact, then um, I started to realize. Well, they told me that uh, that that they would put me in what they called holographic inserts to give me information so I wouldn't be afraid. Because mm-hmm. um, it turns out these ETs were reptilians, and they are definitely scary looking. Um, so, yeah, so I was having those kind of experiences. Then I, in college, I encounter Seth Speaks. I read Seth Speaks. And here's all this stuff in writing that I had always believed. And that wow. really got me intrigued. And so I started, you know, considering, well, maybe this, stuff coming in is coming from somewhere else. I started talking to the, these voices in my head as if uh, they were something, a third party, and they identified themselves as ETs. I didn't believe it. I just thought I was having a very interesting game with myself. <laughs> and so, uh, so it, you know, I got, just got a lot of interesting information that way, and then uh, I I said, well, you know, if I'm not just having a game with myself in my head, then I've got to meet you physically. Otherwise, you know, I'm just playing with myself. And uh, and they said, well, we can't we can't meet you physically because it would traumatize you too much and it would put you in fear and it would interfere with the work that we want to do with you. And uh, you know, I'm very much programmed as the engineer by that point. You know, I grew up with scientists and engineers, uh, my my friends, dads. So I was very much, you know, programmed with a scientific and engineering mindset. So I wanted physical evidence. I wanted proof that I was really right. And so I just didn't believe it. So I kept in these conversations in my head. I kept saying, "Well, you know, if you're real, then I got to meet you physically. Otherwise, I'm just playing with myself." And uh, so after a couple years of that, of needling them. And they would kind of dodge it a lot. You know, it's just kind of funny. They would dodge it when I would ask them. And sometimes they would tell me stuff that they would dodge. And then I would find out later that the reason that they were dodging it is because it, some of the information that they gave me, if if I 
got too public with it, it can endanger my life at the time. And so um, so they did things, I think, to protect me, And um, but I kept insisting. It's like, okay, you know, either if you're real, then i got to meet you physically. Otherwise, um, this is just a game. And, and, and at that point, Ken, did you actually know that they were reptile-looking? No, I didn't have did any idea what you? they looked like. <clears throat> I didn't okay. know they were reptilian um, um, at that point. Um, you know, I mean, my idea of ETs was the big-eyed, you know, great types that everybody oh. sees on TV because that's all I had been exposed to. And um, so, no, um, I had no conceptualization of what they looked like. And that's I just thought, you know, maybe they were human-looking, maybe they were those big gray-looking types. But, um, no, so I wasn't expecting that. <laughs> and um, so when I did encounter them, they were right. It did. It terrified me. But, um <laughs> but I kept needling them for a couple of years, you know, like, oh, you know, uh, you got to show yourselves, you got to show yourselves, and they would dodge it and dodge it. And finally, um, I was, um, by that time, this was probably in the early 90s, I um, wound up meeting Barbara Marciniak, who channeled a bunch of uh, books uh, from a uh, source she said was Pleiadians. And it's really fascinating material. It definitely came from somewhere other than Barbara because I got to know her. What came through her and her channeling is definitely not her. Um, but um, So Barbara lived near me. This is up in North Carolina. I'm in Florida now, but back in the day I was in North Carolina and lived near Barbara and didn't know it. And I just serendipitously came across her and her work because <laughs> I was in a corporate job at work. I was a computer uh, IT guy, you know, doing uh, IT work, and I just happened to walk through the hallway one day and heard a couple of vice presidents talking, and one of them said, oh, it's a wonderful place. And I was like, where's a wonderful place? And they said, oh, there's this New Age bookstore downtown. We're going to go down there for, during lunch. You want to go? I was like, yeah, sure. I didn't know what a New Age bookstore was. <laughs> like, whatever. I'm open to interesting things. So I went with them, and it was like a revelation to me. I mean, I go in this bookstore, and there's like all this, these books on all this esoteric stuff. I was like, wow, I didn't know anything like this existed. <clears throat> and uh, I'm walking around in this bookstore, and I come across these audio cassette tapes, and on the cover of the cassette tapes, they have these big flying saucers. Now, one of the things in my life that was kind of unexplained was I, I always had a fascination with space and science fiction, like anything having to do with space and science fiction. When Star Trek came out, the first original Star Trek, oh, it's like I would have a conniption fit if anything interfered with me seeing it. <laughs> you know, and it's like <clears throat> I was just absolutely fascinated by it. And so so here are these, these audio cassettes with these flying saucers on, and I went up to them and was like, what the heck? And I looked at the back cover, and it had all these crazy esoteric topics on it. I was like, oh, i got to get these. So I bought three or four of them and uh, took them home with me. And I started listening to them on the way to work, on the drive to work. And it was all of this bizarre stuff, alternative histories of Earth and ETs and all kinds of stuff. And a lot of it was stuff that I had been exposed to in, in my experiences. And I was like, what the heck? And so I looked on the back of the, the audio cassette, and it had a bio of Barbara Marciniak, and it said, you know, Barbara Marciniak's an internationally known trans channel from Raleigh, North Carolina, which was where I lived. 
And I thought, man, I wonder if she does any channelings around here locally. So I looked in the phone book, and I found her phone number, and I called her up. And I just <laughs> said, do you do any channelings locally? And, you know, the when she was channeling all this information, it was it was coming from this very benevolent, kind source. So it was very, you know, kind and uplifting and that kind of thing. So I was taken aback when Barbara was, like, really gruff and, almost mean and she's like how'd you get this number and she was like barking at me and i was like well it's in the phone book you know and like, no it's not blah, blah, blah. <laughs> she got mad at me and uh i was like well yeah it is and she said you must have an old phone book and i, I looked and i did i had an old phone book with her phone number in. so anyway she told me about her where her channelings were held at this farm down the road from my house and i started going to them and listening to her channelings and so this is where I actually encounter these ETs physically because um, oh. Barbara was having these, yeah, she was having these really cool channeling events at this farm every month, and um, and so I started going to those channelings and uh, and there was um, there was a group probably of about forty people attending these channelings, local people, and occasionally she would do an event that would attract people from around the world and. Um, mm. So it kind of started out, interestingly enough, the guy that um, that owned the, the, the farm that was the, these challenges were hosted on, there was a little spring on the back of his property on this 40-acre farm down in the woods, and um, he wanted to dig it out and make it into a swimming hole. Uh, but he didn't want to you know, have to rent a tractor and all that, so he's trying to figure out how he can get it done. And this was back when the movie Field of Dreams, that Kevin Costner movie Field of Dreams was out. And so Barbara's doing a channeling there one time, and, and I remember he asked them, like, how can I get this spring dug out? And I just remember the Pleiadians coming through Barbara saying, if you build it, they will come, <laughs> which is a lot from the movie. <laughs> Funny. And, uh, and so he interpreted that as, you know, hosting an event and basically having a big party and, and getting people to dig it out by hand. And so that's what we did. And we started they started having these events there a couple times a year in the summertime where Barbara would come and she would channel. They'd have like a four-day camping weekend, and Barbara would channel every day, and we would dig the spring out and play in the mud and have a good time. So we started yeah. doing that. That was a lot of fun. And... Um, <clears throat> That was brilliant. Yeah, it was. We we had a lot of fun. It was basically a big weekend party, and we'd dig in this mud, and we'd play in it and throw it at each other and, you know, cover ourselves in mud and that kind of stuff. And um, and then it's basically it was a bunch of hippy-dippy type folks doing this, and um, and we had to do something with the mud. Of course, we digging this big hole. It wound up being about five feet deep and about 25 feet across. And um, so... Somebody got the bright idea of uh, making a serpent mound out of the mud, like the Native Americans used to do, because you know a lot of these folks were in the Native American stuff. And so we did. We started piling up the mud as we were digging it out, and we started building this serpent mound. And it started out just a little, you know, dribble of mud, but if, after three or four years, it wound up becoming this 65-foot long, three feet tall, four foot wide strand of mud that was a serpent mound and wow yeah it was really interesting and it was what was really interesting was how we we intuitively did all these things 
that wound up creating this big energy vortex there. Um, because people, it, it kind of became this little Burning Man kind of event where people from all over the world were coming in and playing in the mud, digging this thing out, listening to Barbara's channelings and having a great time. And so that people, pool took a really long time to build. Yeah, it was about four years. It took about four wow. years doing this a couple times a year, digging it out. And there was probably, it started out maybe 30, 40 people, and it wound up being over 100 people. It became oh, quite an event. Yeah. It was, I've got wow. pictures somewhere of it. It's That's just impressive. So, when I was on Facebook years ago, I had pictures of it on my Facebook page. Um, but it was, um, yeah, it was really interesting, a lot of fun. And um, so we, you know, we were piling this mud up. And we, we also, people were bringing in rocks and crystals and artifacts from wherever they came from and putting it into the mud. Just intuitively, people were putting it into the mud in the Serpent Mound. And so what we, what I know now, what we did was create a giant piece of organite, and it was basically a giant skater wave antenna. And so, um, because the spring that we were digging out, spring water is very high in monoatomic elements, also known as ormus. And ormus elements, they're they're down in the ground. They're created by bacterial action in the soil, and um, and they levitate. They're anti-gravitational. So part of what brings spring water up to the surface is not hydrostatic pressure. It's levitation of the ormus elements in the water. So the spring water, spring water is always going to be higher in monoatomic elements than other ground surface water. So this water must have been pretty high in monoatomics. Um, and so we were playing in it. And one of the best ways to get the monoatomics into your body is topically. So we're playing in this water, swimming in this water, putting mud from the hole on ourselves. And uh, <laughs> and and what it does, it raises a superconductivity in your in your body, in your brain, your nervous system, and, and the cells. So the it also opens up the pineal gland. So you become more intuitive and more psychic and that kind of stuff. So without even knowing it, we built this giant skater wave vortex there, and um, and then we're playing in the mud, and then you know Barbara's doing all this channeling, and when she would channel, she would put out this huge field, this really strong field. That it, it, if you got like if I sat within 15 feet of her when she was channeling, when she got done, I would be hot, and I would be tired, because she was just blasting all this energy out, and so. Uh, so, yeah, we dig the spring out. We're having channelings. It turns into a big party. And after a few years, we got this giant hole. And, you know, again, at the time, we didn't know anything about anything. I didn't know anything about skater physics or vortexes or anything. And uh, But we created this giant skater wave vortex. And when you do that, it, it, it opens up a portal. It's like an interdimensional portal. And as it turns out, this is what ancient people used to know and do quite a bit. So a lot of these... Yeah. These uh, structures like pyramids and obelisks and uh, domes and those kinds of things, um, cones, uh, serpent mounds, turtle mounds, they create a, a skater vortex which can act as a communication device, like an interdimensional communication device or a just a long-distance communication device. Is Stonehenge so one of those? Yeah, yeah. I'm actually going to build a pyramid on my property here. Um, I know it's so exciting, perfect, you know, and then build a pyramid village so we can all do this. But um, so, so yeah, so I'm going to these channelings, having a good time, 
and people were having a lot of bizarre paranormal experiences, a lot of UFO sightings over the property, you know, all kinds of stuff. Mm. People were seeing interdimensional beings and all kinds of stuff. And a lot of <clears throat> a lot of really cool synchronicities, too, like Barbara would channel these Pleiadians, and they would come through and say, um, now, you know, it'd be a completely sunny day in the middle of the summer and no forecast for rain for days. And Barbara would channel, and the Pleiadians would say, okay, we're gonna, there's going to be a big storm that's going to come through, and it's going to be very scary, but don't be afraid. It's just us clearing the energy, and then when it's over, you know, the energy will be different and everything will be set, you know, for what we want to do. And we're like, yeah, okay. <laughs> and then sure enough, like an hour later, huge storm would come through, lightning and pouring down rain, strong wind. Wow. And it would blow through, and then, yeah, everything after that would just be all calm and cool and relaxing and really nice. And then one time they, they said, um, okay, now you guys go down and play at the Serpent Mound after you know during the channeling. So you guys go down and play at the Serpent Mound, and we'll come and check on you while you're down there, right? And they were always often talking about reptilians. They were often huh. discussing... Yeah, they were talking about the reptilian influence on Earth, you know, oh. and the negative and the neg- negative aspects of it, and how we were, mi- uh, you know, mind controlled by it, and all this stuff. Huh. So they talked about reptilians a fair amount, and so so we're down. There's like forty, fifty people down at this, digging out the serpent mound and playing in the mud and making a lot of noise and a lot of activity, very concentrated around this hole, you know, we're digging, and so. We decided to have lunch break, and we're sitting around eating lunch. And um, and we're sitting there, and like I said, there's like 50 people sitting around, you know, right next to each other. And this black snake comes crawling through. And it was um, a black racer. <clears throat> black racers have a different colored stomach, so you can tell them, at least I can tell them, I used to play with snakes when I was a kid. <laughs> so, of course you did. <laughs> yeah, I know, poisonous snakes, too. <laughs> so so I wasn't afraid of snakes, and I knew what they, they looked like because I was handling them a lot when I was a kid. And this was a, a black racer as opposed to a regular black snake. And bra- black racers are very wily and wiry, and they do not like being around people, and they're very fast. And this thing comes through, slithering through right in the middle of all of us, just wow. like three feet away from people, slithering through the group, and it would raise its head up kind of like a cobra and just look around at us all <laughs> and, oh, then, funny. and then go on a little bit. and look. And so nobody was up. scared? No, we're all just looking at us like, well, that must be the peas. <clears throat> and, uh. Uh, <clears throat> you know, and so, uh, you know, just a lot of crazy experiences like that were happening all the time with this group. <laughs> a lot of wow. synchronicities. Um so, you know, this is kind of the preface to the to the contact that I had there. Um and so so you know, so we we all got to be friends and um had a lot of fun there and ultimately we dug out this spring and created a big portal. There was like I said, there was a lot of UFO activity in the area, uh, all those kinds of things. Um and so in um the summer of nineteen ninety five, um I was I was um Actually, there was a party going on at that place. There was this was you know at a farm, so there's a farmhouse there, and the farmhouse is probably a quarter mile away from the Serpent Mound and the spring. And so I was at the party, 
and um, it was basically that same group. It was you know the local channeling group and some other people from the area at this party, and we we're having a mm-hmm. having a party in the in the house, and um, there was a guy there who came from I think Ohio, who was also in IT, and he um, had this he got he had gotten a job traveling to all of these former Soviet satellite countries setting up computer systems, which I found out later it was actually computer systems for financial control of these countries. Because um, wow. when the Soviet Union broke up, you know, all these satellite countries, the IMF, the International Monetary Fund, and the World Bank stepped into these countries and set up foreign exchange systems and banking systems and um stock exchanges and that kind of stuff, basically the whole financial control system. And so so one by one, they were going through these countries and setting up these control systems, basically slavery systems. And so this guy was getting paid huge amounts of money to go and set up these computer systems, and he said, hey, you want to come along? You know, We can have a lot of fun and travel and see the world and get paid a lot of money. And... Um, you know, by that time I was married, and I was like, well, number one, I don't know if my wife would want to go, but the main reason I didn't want to go was because the technology they were working with was really crappy. It would be a huge step down in my professional career because I was working in a state-of-the-art facility with a big budget and, um, mm-hmm. you know, I had all this nice technology to work with and was working on a lot of cutting-edge stuff. And, you know, if I'd get this job... It would pay a lot more, but probably like four times what I was getting paid at the time. But wow, yeah, so it was a real temptation. But but it would be a big step down professionally, and I just and then also you know I'd I'd have to bring my wife, and she would have to leave her job, and so it was like eh, I don't think so. So this guy's trying to talk me into it at this party. I'm like nah 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 nah, and uh, <laughs> so finally. He says, well, let's go down to the Serpent Mound and meditate on it. I was like, okay. So we walk, you know, a quarter mile or so across a field and down through the woods into this little kind of like valley in the woods. And um, it was it was at dusk. So the sun was setting and it was getting kind of dim, not dark. Just the but, two of you. Yeah, just the two of us were down there. And we drop our feet in the water. We're sitting at the edge of the of the pool with our feet dangling in the water. And as I mentioned, you know, that one of the best ways to get monoatomic elements into the body, which raises the superconductivity in the body and increases your psychic abilities and healing and all kinds of stuff, is getting it topically. And so this water, again, I had no idea at the time, but this water was high enormous. Mm-hmm. And so we're dangling our legs in there, soaking our legs and feet in it, and meditating. And... As they're sitting there meditating, as they often did, these reptilian ETs come in and start talking to me in my head. And they always introduce themselves by saying, we are here. And they did that. They told me they did that because it was vibrationally encoded so that I would recognize that it was them and not an imposter. And so, anyway, they come in and they start talking to me. And I just thought, this is so absurd. I'm sitting here talking to quote, you know, reptilian ETs. Actually, at the time, I didn't even know they were reptilian, I don't think. I'm talking to ETs. Yeah, I guess I did. Because You're I, talking to ETs in your head while talking to this guy. Yeah, yeah. So well, we're sitting okay. there meditating, so we had our eyes closed and we were quiet. Oh, okay, but I just sure. thought it, this whole scene was just too bizarre, you know. 
So I was I thought it was funny. So I said to the guy sitting with me, I said, You're not gonna believe this, but I've got extraterrestrials talking to me in my head. And to my surprise he said, Yeah, they're talking to me too. Oh, I'm wow. like, Really? Hmm. So we kept meditating and and they said, you know, they said again, We are here. I said, Yeah, I know you but what do you want? And they said, no, we are here physically. Open your eyes. And so I opened my eyes. And at the same time, Tim, the guy with me, opens his eyes. And we're staring straight ahead and off in the woods there, about 100 feet away. There's these three giant reptilian humanoid beings standing there. And I didn't believe it at first. I thought I was hallucinating. You know, So I'm like smacking myself in the face. <laughs> and shaking my head to see if it would go away, and it wouldn't go away. And I, I said to Tim, "Are you seeing this?" And he's like, "Yeah." And and you know, while I'm thinking all of this, they're communicating telepathically, but I wasn't really paying attention because I'm trying to grok what I'm seeing, and it just didn't make sense. You know, it's like it's one thing to talk about it, but when you're really sitting somewhere and some freaking ET show up, it's it doesn't compute. It just doesn't compute. So, so I'm looking at this, trying to, and I, and I, my first thought was somebody's messing with me. Somebody is like either projecting this with some kind of holographic projector, or this is some kind of mind control or something. Somebody is messing with me. And, uh, and so, um, so they had told me many times before that, you know, when they, when I would ask them to show themselves physically, they would say, no, we can't do that. Because human DNA has been programmed to fear us, and it would traumatize you too much, and it would interfere with the work we want to do with you, and blah, blah, blah. And boy, were they right, because, like, instinctually, at first I didn't think it was real, so I wasn't afraid, you know. I was just thinking, who's messing with me? What the hell is this? Is this some kind of mind control? What's going on here? But after a couple of minutes, I started to realize, holy crap, this is real. And that's when I got scared. I got terrified instantly. And so did Tim, the guy that was with me. Um, and I looked at him and I said, let's get the fuck out of here. <laughs> and, <laughs> pardon my French. And, uh, but it was, you know, it was like, it was just terrifying. And so they were just standing there and not they're moving just standing their mouth there. They're kind or of anything. Swaying. Yeah, they were, and they were huge. I mean, this is the part I left out. They were huge. What's like huge? The, there were three of them. The small one was about 12 feet tall. The large one was about 18 feet tall. I mean, the oh. large one was probably the height of my two-story house. You know, wow. Huge. And they were, if, you, if you've ever seen the movie Avatar, yep. it was very reminiscent of the physiology of those ETs in the movie Avatar. They were tall and slender, but they were very mm. muscular. Okay. And they were, you know, they had scales all over, very much like a lizard, and they were olive drab colored, like army green colored. But they had like clothes, a lighter no clothes. no clothes, no genitals or anything that you could see, uh-huh. kinda of like a like a lizard here on earth, you know. It's like no, just uh well, no clothes. Did it look anything like the lizard guy from Star Trek that Captain yes. King had to fight and I was yes. so scared of that that was like yes. the one episode I was so scared as a child. They made yes. it so scary. <laughs> That's exactly what I was thinking at the time. Yeah, oh there was God. this um episode uh, of the original Star Trek, where Captain Kirk gets put onto this planet to fight yep. this reptilian extraterrestrial called the Gorn. Gorn, yes, yes. Yeah, Gorn. remember that? And it was so, I mean, looking back, if you see that episode now, the the makeup and everything, the special effects were so hokey, but um, 
But yeah, the Gorn was this reptilian ET, and it was very much like that. And that's why I thought somebody was messing with me. I thought somebody ah. somebody knows I'm a Star Trek fan. They're messing with me because it looks so Hollywood. Mm. They they their head was yeah very much like that Gorn in the old Star Trek. It was kind of like a cross between that and Mr. Worf in The Next Generation. They had these three ridges going down their skull, one on the right, one on the left, and one down the middle that came down to a nose ridge, kind of like Mr. Worf has on Star Trek. Mm-hmm. And they had golden irises that had, they had snake eyes, you know, like slitted pupils with golden irises. And their 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 abdomen was like a lighter color, kind of gray. And uh, they had, at the time, I didn't know, I didn't notice, but I found out later because somebody asked me, and I asked them, and then they showed me a picture, actually, of their hands. Their hands had six fingers on them, claws, actually, because they had, like, claws. And um, But they weren't threatening, and they weren't scary. Um, they had kind of a benevolent look on their face. And years ago, um, somebody was interviewing me, uh, for a, an online interview, and, and they asked me to find a picture on the internet, if I could, of what I saw. And I looked and looked and looked, and I never saw a picture in Google Images of anything that looked exactly like them. There were there were some that looked kind of close, but they always like if you look at drawings online, they always have this sinister look or something's off about. And they have sharp teeth. Yeah, and these I I didn't see their teeth. Um, but their face, you know, they had a kind of a muzzle, not quite like a dog, but it kind of protruded out a little bit. And then they had these three ridges down their head. And um, and when I, when I first saw Dr. Stephen Greer, who's been doing all this ET disclosure, I thought he was a reptilian because his, his head was shaped very much like theirs. And I'll tell you a story about him later. Well, some people do feel he is. I don't uh, know. Um, I, I think he is, and I'll, I'll tell you about that a little later. But but their head was yeah, shaped like that. And, um, and they're just standing there kind of swaying a little bit so I could see because it was dimly lit. You know, this was at dusk, and they were backlit because the sun was setting behind them. But this was down in a valley, so the sun wasn't, like, shining directly on them. Um, so they were kind of a little bit shaded, and uh, so, so. But I could tell because of the way they were twisting and turning a little bit, I could kind of see their features, and um, and so yeah. So I'm you know I'm looking at this and I'm not believing it at first, and they're communicating telepathically, and I wasn't paying attention to it because that was just such a bizarre experience, you know. And they're like, don't run. <laughs> yeah, they were whatever it was they were saying. I wasn't paying attention, and, and uh, so then after it was only like two minutes of this when um, I said to Tim, "Let's get the hell out of here," and we ran back to the party going on at the house. Uh-huh. And um, at the, back in those days, this was in my thirties. Um, I cared what, about what people thought of me, so I was not about to go back to a party and say I just saw reptilian ETs because I didn't know what I saw, and I didn't I didn't want people thinking I was crazy. Um, and I and I found out actually later doing some emotional healing therapies that I had this I had this fear of being declared crazy and being locked up because I had been in past lives that had happened to me I had been yeah. doing things that the powers that be didn't like to empower people and I got thrown in uh, dungeons and stuff and was 
you know, declared crazy. So I didn't want anybody thinking I was crazy, you know. So I had this, like, unconscious fear of being declared crazy. So I wasn't about to go back to this part and go, we just saw reptilian ETs, because <laughs> I didn't know what I'd seen. I was still trying to grok it. And, um, but then later that night, oh, and I did, I started comparing notes with Tim at the party, and uh, and we started realizing that they were communicating simultaneously, telepathically to both of us. So we both heard the same thing simultaneously. The same thing. Okay. And they did that. They came in later that night as I was going to sleep, um, and they started talking to me, and they said, we told you you'd be afraid. And I was like, you're right. I don't ever want to see you again. Thank you very much. Leave me alone. <laughs> and um, <laughs> That's funny. But, they, you know, they kept communicating telepathically, and they they were always benevolent. They never did anything frightening or disempowering or anything so um but um but yeah you know it's like between talking to tim and then them come you know talking to me further about it all um i you know over time i i started understanding more and more about everything that had happened in my life up to that point and um and then also, you know, they continued to give me lots of information. They had been giving me information about, like, monoatomic gold at that time for, like, a year and a half. And they didn't – actually, they didn't even say monoatomic gold. They just said gold. They started telling me about gold. And they say things like extraterrestrials use gold for time travel and dimension travel because it remains the same through different dimensions of time and space, and not all matter does, and, you know, all this kind of stuff. And I'm thinking, wow, this is really interesting, but what the hell does it have to do with me, you know? <laughs> now I know what they were right, giving me over years, really this, over my whole this life. This gold thing. Yeah. Like, isn't, aren't there stories about, like, other cultures coming to to the earth to mine the gold or something? Like, is that yeah. just hearsay or is that, like, real? Well, that's what they told me. I didn't know any of these. I didn't know any of these stories. <clears throat> when they started telling me all this stuff, and later I would share it with other people, people would say, oh, You've been reading Zachariah Sitchin. I'm like, who? Uh, it's like, no. <laughs> Apparently, Zachariah Sitchin was this archaeologist who was doing digs in Africa and discovered all this evidence of reptilian extraterrestrial um, contact there over, you know, millennia. And so, yeah, so there are all these stories about um, I, that I wasn't aware of at the time about ETs coming to Earth to mine gold to to make monoatomic gold. And um, and they basically enslaved humanity to do that. Um, and so what they told me was, um, this was before I, as a matter of fact, I still to this day have never read Zacharias Sitchin's work, so I don't really know. I've I've seen a few YouTube videos talking about it, but uh, but apparently he he gets into this in detail from his archaeological findings, and probably he was channeling stuff or was having contact as well. But but what they told me directly was that that reptilian ETs have been manipulating Earth for thousands of years, and they originally came here many thousands of years ago, maybe tens of thousands of years ago, to um, to mine gold, and uh, because they use it in a lot of different, <clears throat> for a lot of different things. They use it for immortality, for one thing, because if you ingest monoatomic gold, it will heal anything, because it goes into the body and it raises superconductivity, and the way that body the body regenerates cells, it actually sends skater signals back through time to get the the perfect genetic pattern from your from your your biofield or your aura, and bring it in it brings it back into the present into your physical structures and, and regenerate cells that way. So the more 
superconductivity you have in your body, the better it can do that. And so when you ingest these monoatomics, it does that. It raises the superconductivity, and everything regenerates constantly all the time, and you just don't age. And so um, they also said that they that ETs used it for time travel and dimension travel, and um, healing and a lot of different stuff. Oh, and they also said that when reptilians, it, a lot of times they would they would go and conquer planets. Their modus operandi is to go and conquer planets of um, lesser developed humanoid beings and uh, and then control those planets and feed off of them energetically because they they've evolved to where they're they're interdimensional or multidimensional. I mean, we all are, but they they focus just outside of three-dimensional reality from our viewpoint. And so they feed off of uh, three-dimensional physical uh, humanoid beings because we all capture energy. That's a little confusing. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. I mean, can you explain that again? Sorry, my mind was just like, what? That's kind of how it works. So all living organisms, well, first of all, you have this energy coming from the center of, of all galaxies. And Mainstream science even is aware of this, but they're, they, they'll give it different names, but there's this energy that comes blasting <clears throat> blasting out of the centers of galaxies that some scientists call skater waves, or um, mainstream science will call it dark energy and dark matter and stuff like that. But, it's, but what it is is it's, it's light energy that's coming out of the centers of galaxies, and it spirals as it travels, and it branches as it travels. So it's spiraling and fractaling as it's traveling. And the whole cosmos is the physical multiverse is made, it's constructed geometrically. So if you look at the fundamental building blocks of matter, it's really energy, but it's it's geometric patterns of energy that kind of coalesce or coagulate or slow down uh, and densify into physical matter. And so it's geometric at its fundamental structure. And this energy is traveling out of the centers of galaxies, and it's spiraling and branching as it goes, and it's relayed throughout the cosmos through the suns and the planets because at the center of all suns and planets, they have black holes at their centers. And what black holes really are are superluminal suns. They're suns that are emanating light that's traveling millions of times faster than the conventional speed of light. And so to to our eyes and to our instruments, it appears black or invisible, so we call it uh, dark energy or whatever. Yeah, black holes. But really a black hole is a superluminal sun. So the black hole at the center of the galaxy and the black hole at the center of planets and suns, they're really superluminal suns or portals. They're they're actually portals for this energy. So the whole cosmos is this cosmic web of this light energy flowing through these portals and creating this this energetic web. Um, and it and it passes through not just physical reality, but also what we would consider non-physical reality, other dimensions or frequencies of existence. And so planets are antennas for this energy. And suns are, and and so here on Earth, all living organisms are antennas for this energy. And so it's coming down to us from our sun, because it's got a black hole at its center. And if you think about it, you know, at the center of a sun, you've got this superluminal light emanating outwards. And then as it slows down and it becomes visible light, and so that's why we see 
suns as these glowing objects. Um, and then at the center of our Earth, we've got one of these superluminal suns. So the energy is emanating up from the center of the Earth and down from above from the sun, and all living organisms are antennas that capture that energy and rebroadcast it in a local field. So as it turns out, galaxies, which you know we've seen telescope images of galaxies that you know they look like a big pinwheel of stars and planets, um, this big spiraling pinwheel. And, it, and actually, if you look closely, <clears throat> that swirl of planets and suns is actually angular. It's not a smooth. It's not smooth spirals. It's actually angles of, oh. of uh, you know, the spiral. And so, um, so galaxies are structured that way, and it creates a toroidal field, a donut-shaped field around the galaxy. And so the energy is emanating out of one side of that black hole and spiraling around and eventually coming back into the other side. And so that's what scientists call black holes and white holes. When the energy is coming out, it's a white hole. When the energy is going back in, it's a, uh, a, a black hole. And you can have these, quote, black holes of any scale and size and intensity. So it, it's not, you know, we're told that black holes are these giant things out there that suck in all matter and energy and crush it down infinitesimally small. Well, that's only at the galactic scale. Um, at every other scale, there, there are all kinds of black holes at different sizes, and um, our bodies are full of them. That's what the acupuncture yeah, I, was gonna, I, was, I was just going to ask you, are, yeah. are our bodies full of black holes but little ones? Yeah. So at every scale, you know, as above, so below, you've got galaxies with these toroidal fields around them, and the energy is flowing. It's spiraling and frackling as it flows through this circuit of energy and matter, and then it flows back in the other side. And it turns out that, you know, not only galaxies have those toroidal fields and that energy flow, but so do solar systems, so do suns, so do planets. You know, they've got a toroidal field. We know, for example, that the Earth has a toroidal magnetic field around it, but also has a skater field around it. And then so do all living organisms. All living organisms, whether it's an insect or a plant or a human or whatever, we create these toroidal fields because we're fractal antennas that pick it up. Because... The way you conduct this energy is through a, an electrical non-conductor like stone or bone or plastic or wood or something like that. Metals don't conduct it. Metals can direct it, but they don't conduct it. And so so we're little fractal antennas. You know, I mean, you look at our bodies. Our bodies, we've got two arms, two legs, and a head. Our body is a fractal. It's a branching. Our blood system, our nervous system, our lymph system, you know, it's all How about fractal. our chakras? Exactly. The chakras, <clears throat> so this is what they showed me. Um, our brain is like a radio. It's a transceiver. It, it's, it's a fractal antenna. Uh, if you look at the structure of the brain and the nerves and the, um, the neurons and everything in it, it's, this, it's basically this big ball of neurons that's all structured like a tree branching, right? It's fractal. And, and it's loaded up. There's all these nodes all along the neural pathways of the brain that are loaded up with these superconducting monoatomic elements, also known as Ormus elements. And that creates superconductivity, but it also creates the little black holes within our body. So throughout the brain, through the, out the DNA, the cells, the nervous system, the acupuncture meridians, they're all deposits of these superconducting minerals that create these little black hole portals that this energy flows through. 
and it, you know, the energy that's coming from the sun and the, and the earth and the cosmos. So it's, we capture it, it comes in and it flows through these portals throughout our bodies. And hence these practices like Tai Chi and Qigong and, you know, Kundalini Yoga and those kinds of things where you're working with energy to physically heal the body or, or manifest your reality or whatever. And so the chakras, <clears throat> turns out, are large deposits of these minerals along the spine. And Ooh. so the brain, being the radio, the transceiver, captures this energy, this God consciousness coming from the cosmos and the earth, and sends it down the nervous system. The nervous system is a fractal antenna. It's a scalar fractal antenna. So your your radio is picking up all this this uh, energy of consciousness from other people, other kinds of organisms, God, you know, whatever, ETs, whatever kind of consciousness is out there, we pick it up and we interact with it through our brain and our nervous system. And so the chakras, now you think about it, the chakras are represented as different colors and they always are represented as like pinwheels or vortexes, right? And it's because, as I mentioned, this scalar energy flows, it's spiraling and branching, and it flows in vortexes, or vortices, I should say. And so so the energy comes in from the brain and goes down along the spine, and when it hits these large nodes of monoatomics, it creates a scalar vortex that comes out, and that's what a chakra is. And the reason that it corresponds to different colors on a chakra chart is because as you move away from the brain, it changes the frequency. Because the spine is an antenna. The whole nervous system is an antenna. And if you know anything about antennas, an antenna, a simple antenna is just a piece of wire a certain length. So if you have a piece of wire one foot long, that is an antenna that can pick up a, a wavelength of one foot long. <clears throat> so when you go down the spine, uh, you know, and you've got the um, crown chakra and then the throat chakra on down, they're different distances away from the brain, and that length of distance is a big antenna. And so it's wow. capturing all this energy, bringing it in and out. You know, we're, we're bringing it in, but we're also broadcasting outward, and we broadcast this toroidal field around us. So the combination of our brain and our nervous system and our physiology creates this toroidal skater field around us. And so, yeah, as above, so below. Our bodies are loaded with these black holes, the whole cosmos is loaded with these black holes, and when you start looking at subatomic structures, there's also lots and lots of these interdimensional portals as so, well. So, Ken, I'm 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 doing some dimensional therapy um, training with uh, my mentor and teacher Marcus Bird, and uh, he has um, and continues uh, to channel ETs, and um, he was given this therapy, if you will, uh, many many years ago, and he says that uh, they're actually They've taken a lot of things out, like there's 13 chakras, not seven. And, right. And, you know, the acupuncture system uh, took the pathways um, that are in the body that are actually spiral, and where they intersect are the acupuncture points, so the Chinese just kind of got rid of all the pathways and just right. just mapped the points and made them straight lines. So I was like, what? Yeah. <laughs> I'm just yeah. curious if that resonates with you. Absolutely, you yeah. Yeah. I don't know how many how how many chakras uh we have it may go beyond 13 but definitely because we're putting out this field around us and when you understand that energy comes first matter comes second it's not the yeah. other way around 
Right. So when you look inside of atoms, you know, the the model of the atom that we've been taught in school is called the Bohr model of the atom, B-O-H-R, and it's absolute nonsense. Once you get below the proton, neutron, and the electron level of the atom, you don't have smaller and smaller particles. Um, you know, every time... The muon and the... Yeah, muons and leptons and gluons, it's all nonsense. Every time physicists discover a new property of atoms, you know, and they can't figure it out, they just make up a new particle and go, oh, it's just a new particle, or it's, uh, you know, spin, or all these ridiculous non-scientific ah. labels they give it. What what really is going on inside the atom, and we know this from not just experimental work, but also back in the 1950s there was a man named Elmer Nemus who developed an optical microscope that could magnify five million times. I know. You, you told me about this. I, yeah, I, you can I actually it go on, It's crazy. It's, you can it go is on crazy. YouTube, I was talking to my friends YouTube. about it yesterday. They were, like, shocked. They had never heard of the Nemoscope. Yeah, I know. I the only reason I found out about it because I was at a conference where I met a doctor who was given Nemus's papers. He was like the keeper of his papers, the ones that were left, um, because he got suppressed and attacked and probably murdered. But Nemus, yeah, he developed this microscope that could magnify five million times. If you go on Google Images and search on Nemoscope, N-E-M-E-S-C-O-P-E, you can see images of iron atoms that he photographed, and it confirmed a lot of what we know about uh, atomic structure, and it also refuted uh, what you know a lot of what's taught. But anyway, inside of, so inside of atoms, when you get down below inside the um, the nucleus, beyond the proton and the, and the neutron and the electron, what you have are geometric patterns of light that slow down and coagulate into the proton, neutron, and electron. And so that means that we're living in a holographic universe. You know, everything's holographic. So the energy comes first, and it in, in physical three-dimensional reality, that energy slows down and densifies into atomic structure and matter. In other frequencies of existence outside of our 3D physical reality, it's going to become energetic patterns that are less physical than 3D. And so the farther away in frequency you get from 3D, the less physical it becomes. So where, let's say, what people might call the fourth dimension or whatever, it's really not an accurate term, but when you get outside of our physical frequency range, things may appear to have physical constructs like we have here in our physical reality, but it's not solid, and the physics is different from what I'm told. So... So anyway, um, yeah, that's that's um, kind of how the chakra system works. So we. Okay. Well, I, by the way, I did I did um, you know uh, one of the things that's happening through what I a lot of people call the ascension process, which is more like an expansion process. It's not religious or anything like that. Some people think it's religious and Catholic, and I'm like, no, 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 that's not what I'm talking about. Um, anyway, so through this process, I've noted when I'm doing one-on-one sessions, and then, of course, doing self-healing, that uh, this sounds really weird, so I don't know how, you know, what it means to you, but I, my understanding is that we grow, for lack of a better word, new chakras as we evolve, and that sometimes the new chakras don't uh, yet, uh, hasn't really, like, 
connected, you know, relationship-wise, communication-wise with our heart line, the other chakras. And so one of the healings that I've done for people, and it's been helpful, so I'm doing something, I don't know what it is, guiding something, um, is that when we rebalance those things, everybody can communicate with everybody. So some of these folks that I've met can have like 50, 60, upward, you know, many, many, many more chakras. I don't even know what we're doing exactly, except that they feel better, so that's... So well, that makes sense you, to me, actually. I think that makes sense from a physics standpoint because if you look at just somebody with, let's say, look at seven chakras of somebody, um, there are devices like the GDV camera where you can actually quantitatively measure the skater field of a person or an object or a, uh, a living organism like a plant. And what we know from that is that you know, if you're not living right, you can clog up your meridians in your body and it will shut down the chakras or throw them out of balance. And so, um, you know, for example, eating fast food, <laughs> that'll do it. Or, or toxins, you know, that, this is a classic one. You know, you you ingest or breathe in or whatever, you get toxins in your body, they clog up the acupuncture meridians, and then what do you do? You go to an acupuncturist, they stick needles in it, open it up mechanically, and then you rebalance. You know, it rebalances the chakras and other things consequently because of that. And then you go living and doing the same things and maybe clog it up again. And so, you, you know, if you're mechanically opening it up with acupuncture, you usually have to keep going back every now and then. Whereas if you live right, detox your body, detox your mind and your emotions and raise your frequency, the more and more that you do that, it makes absolute sense that you would raise, not only raise your frequency, but increase the size of your field and therefore increase the number of chakras. So I would believe, and plus, you know, Karen, I trust your intuition on things too. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm open to be ro- being wrong, of course, and I always say my current understanding is because, you know, in the future sometimes I say something, I'm like, oh, well, that that's different now. I think that I think that uh, is probably what's going on, um, because just with what we know, like reading somebody with a GDV camera, if you detox somebody and and balance them physically and emotionally, then their all of their chakras open up and their field gets larger and their health improves and all kinds of stuff. So okay. And I talk about something called the light radius, which you know, um, Jenny, know my friend and I were you know coining the different terms. And um, we really liked that one. And it was the idea that um, uh, functionally it's like when I'm in stillness and I'm, you know, resonating, uh, you know, in the zero point fields and being fully conscious in the present moment, which, you know, took me decades to figure out what that was. But anyway, so when I'm there, what happens is when I do a measurement of my quote unquote field of influence, the positive field of influence, it's much bigger, like a lot bigger. Yes. If I'm in stillness. It goes boom, and and it literally like affects in a positive way everything around me, whether that be people, locations, structures, stores, whatever. But if I'm in a scared or fearful mood or whatever, that light radius shrinks. It's not as big and not as positive an effect. So right. anyway, so that's it, it. It makes sense this whole toroidal field thing, like what you're talking about on a physics base basis, that that would happen actually. Yeah, that's it. I mean, really, a lot of what people would think of as spirituality is really, to me, physics. It's just how consciousness, the energy of consciousness works. And, yeah, when, you, when you're when you in a certain emotional state, you'd hold a certain vibrational frequency 
that will resonate with similar frequencies. So if you're fearful, you're going to resonate with fearful kind of stuff, and you're going to draw in negative experiences, whereas if you are holding your frequency high, staying in love, surround yourself with beauty and and kind and loving, uplifting friends and all that kind of stuff, meditating, meditation is huge for that. Um, mm-hmm. All of that will raise your frequency, and then you resonate with more positive and uplifting experiences and synchronicities and things like that. Absolutely. As a matter of fact, I've been meditating religiously for the last few months. Um, I've always, I've, for decades, I've been a meditator, but I haven't done it every single day. But in the last couple of months, I've been meditating every single day for at least an hour. And what I'm finding is that, and you know, I'm doing all these things I've been talking about, like, you know, detoxing my body and taking in enormous minerals, which raises the superconductivity and all that kind of stuff. And what I'm finding is because I've raised my frequency just in the last few months, I have absolutely no interest in the news or, you know, I, I hardly ever watch anything like a movie or Netflix or anything like that. But, like, none of that interests me whatsoever. It's like my life is so much more interesting than any of that stuff. It's it just doesn't interest me. And so what's happening is I'm That's finding all these things are manifesting and synchronicities are happening right and left now. And so that, practically speaking, that's what it means to raise your frequency. It means basically physically detoxing the body and opening up those pathways so the energy can flow and then focusing your awareness on the things that you want in your life and the things that matter. And, you know, meditation is there are a lot of different specific techniques for meditation the one i've been doing lately is a combination of bringing my brain into coherence and bringing my heart into coherence and then focusing on what i want to manifest or heal or whatever and so what i'm finding is that when i do that things just start happening a lot faster. And how many of us yep. take the time to do that? You know, I mean, it's not easy in our busy lives to take an hour or more of your day and sit down and meditate. But how many of us focus on what it is that we want to create and focus on an uplifting reality, especially when there's all this negative stuff going on in the world these days and it's being pumped in front of us on, you know, YouTube and all these right. video channels. Right. Well, this could happen, and that could happen. Yeah. And then, and, you know, you got to fight. you got to, you know, do all this stuff. And, yeah. It's just fear, yeah. fear, 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 fear. And negativity, negativity. So when you Very when you disconnect from that, it's amazing. Life becomes really magical. And I already have a pretty a magical life, but it's getting even more so lately. That's awesome. I'm, I'm loving it. I'm still it. looking forward to that pyramid. <laughs> I well, know. I know. It's going to be I'm fun. I'm not much of a builder person, but uh, I'm going to... Well, gonna, I've figured out, I've been looking at different so. construction <laughs> methods, and I think what we're going to use is something called structural integrated panels. For, the, yep. for those folks listening, and then we'll, I'm talking My about... My house is made of those. Yeah, exactly. Oh, really? Interesting. Yeah, the downside is that the ants kind of eat through that, but, you know, you yeah. probably don't have as much of an ant issue as we do. Well, <clears throat> we do. We could, but I know how to take care of them energetically so they don't come around. Um, but, yeah, the, uh, f- for folks listening, I part of this, you know, this recent spurt of meditation, consistent meditation that I've had in the last few months, as I, I got the idea 
that I I want to create a pyramid village. I think I mentioned this on your last show. You know, I want to create a, a community centered around a very large pyramid for meditation. And so the beginning step of that is to build a small pyramid, maybe 25, 30 feet tall on my property here because I've got five acres, and experiment with some of the technologies that I want to implement with it because I developed a you know a device called the Home Shield, which was really designed for stopping Fukushima fallout, uh, which it, it does, but it also will balance the weather and do all kinds of stuff. So, um, so I want to take one of those and put it inside this pyramid, and then um, and do guided meditations and things in this pyramid with groups of people. So that'll be like proof of concept and get that going, okay. and then use that to manifest a larger pyramid village somewhere in, in this area where I live. Um, when I was in India a couple of years ago, I, I had this amazing experience where um, I got invited to speak in India at this huge pyramid meditation conference, 15,000 people. And, and it was put on by this Indian guru who was teaching meditation with pyramids. And this guy was a master of manifestation. I mean, it was just incredible what he manifested with zero money. Um, he, he had he had no income. This guy didn't have a job. He just went around teaching pyramid meditation. But he wound up manifesting two giant pyramids, like 200 and some feet tall that can seat 6,000 meditators. And, and then he puts on this conference with 15,000 people and feeds everybody three all-you-can-eat meals a day, and it's all done by donation. Um, and the pyramids were built by donations from wealthy, influential people that he helped heal and helped shift their lives. And so in gratitude, they, they donated. So anyway, I'm, he's touring me around, showing me all these different pyramid sites that they had built across southern India. And we go to this one, and it was a pyramid maybe 30 feet tall, made out of concrete in this beautiful park, beautifully landscaped. And the man that had it built told me, I said, how did you fund this? And he said, well, this used to be an ugly, barren lot that was full of garbage and stuff. And I went to the city officials and I said, hey, why don't we turn this into a park and add some value to the community? And he said they had money for it. And so he got the city to fund building this park with this pyramid. Wow. <laughs> so I thought, hey, hey, hey Ken, there, we have somebody with their hand up. <laughs> okay. I was wondering if you're okay sure. with the. Sure. You know, answering questions. Sorry, did it cut you midstream? No, no, there. no problem. Um, and then we'll we'll get back, guys, to uh, you know, as far as the whole. Well, that's just how you know, I got the idea for how I'm going to fund my my project is okay. get local officials to come in and meditate in this pyramid and get them to have some experiences, and then we'll see what happens. Ooh, okay, yeah, more power to you. That's awesome. That's great. So we're going to come back to you, the the question. I know we kind of went roundabout, didn't quite answer that, guys. But you know, in terms of you know uh, how how humans are food. <laughs> Oh, okay. Sorry, oh, I didn't realize that was somebody's question. Um, okay, so the way that we're food is because we're that after skater, uh, after this question. Yeah, because we're skater okay. fractal antennas, and we are capturing this energy and we emanate it, um, and we put out emotions. And emotions are a form. Our whole consciousness and our emotions are a form of skater waves. And skater waves can be converted into anything. They can be converted into matter or other forms of energy. So just like humans on earth raise cattle to eat these reptilian ets and some other ets will raise colonies of human beings to generate this skater energy which some people on earth call louche and they will feed off of it and 
they'll feed off of it directly, and then they'll also use it and harvest it for other purposes. So that's how they, they feed off of us. I was told by these reptilians that they also used to physically eat us, and sometimes they still do. Um, but usually they feed off of us energetically. And that's why Earth is basically a big prison planet. It's a whole long story, but Earth is a prison planet that's designed to harvest the people that are on it. Um, because ETs know that energy can't be created. It can only be changed. I mean, it can't be destroyed or created. It can only be changed from one form to another. So they know if they go kill their enemies, their enemies will just reincarnate and come back and cause them problems. So what they do instead is they will put their enemies in either uh, like mind control bubbles or temporal bubbles to trick them into believing that they're in a reality that they're not really in, and that way they can kind of isolate their enemies. So that's part so of the what's going on. Yeah, exactly. It's like a matrix. Yeah, well, which is surprising because that didn't make sense to me why, you know, some folks feel that um, they're here for genocidal purposes. And I'm like, yeah, but if you kill your food, that doesn't make any sense. So maybe a different species is doing that. So I don't know how to... There's a lot of different... Out. There's a lot of different entities and, and ETs with a lot of different agendas, and some of them have oh. absolutely no interest in us at all. I, I met a guy who encountered some insect beings, and they had no interest in us at all. They were here studying their ancestors, which were some kind of rare insect on Earth. <laughs> so, so you never know why they're here. Right, right. Um, and, and, you know, from what you're saying, it doesn't sound like the, the reptilians that you were in contact with, sounds, they sound very benevolent. Like, because reptilians get a really bad rap here on Earth. Well, the ones that I encountered were very atypical from their their species. There are different kinds of reptilians, and these particular three were Draco reptilians, which are the very nasty negative ones that have been enslaving humanity. But they had, uh, they, under different circumstances, they had gotten exposed to other ETs that had kind of shown them the error of their ways. Oh. And so they were actually, when I encountered them, they were being led by these other ETs to understand humanity more so that they would value humans and not try to control and manipulate and destroy us. So one of them, for example, the big one that I encountered was a former soldier, and he hated human beings, and he was very, very powerful. Uh, and he got into a fight with a human being in some capacity. I don't. Obviously, it wasn't like a physical fist fight because the human would have lost in a split second. But yeah. some kind of encounter that he had in a battle with a human, and he got his butt kicked, and it disabled him to the point where he, you know, he didn't want to be in the military anymore. And it shifted him. And so then he was approached by these other reptilians that had been having encounters with some benevolent ETs, humans, and insect types, and like mantis beings and some others that were trying to help the reptilian race shift because they're they're on a path of self-destruction. You know, they yeah. the way they're operating can't it can't maintain long term in the cosmos in 3D without being destroyed. And so they're kind of trapped and they know it, but they don't know what to do about it. And because of their they don't have emotions like we do because in their reality the way that it comes from their birthing process, and this was something they wanted to study and understand human birthing and emotions. So they were very interested in like understanding relationship between parents and babies and children and, and our emotions. Because in their reality, they're hatched in these government communal nurseries, I guess you'd call government. And, um, and so they never meet their parents. And when these babies are born, they're given just enough food and sustenance for uh, 
maybe a third of them to survive. So they have to fight to oh survive. Kind of like, like if you think about it, it's kind of like a reptilian on Earth, like an alligator or a snake or something. You know, they make these nests of eggs and they hatch, and most of them die either being eaten by predators or their parents yep. eat them. Or you know. so it's very much like that, and that's probably why they are the way they are. It's probably because of their their um, long-term history, their evolution. But um, so because they are raised this way, and only a minority of them survive all of that. They have to be very aggressive and violent and warlike and untrusting, et cetera, et cetera, to survive in their reality. And so, but it's not sustainable. And so they know it and they know they're headed towards a crash. And so there are a minority of them that have woken up to this and they're working with other ETs or working to help them shift it. And so uh, that's, this is what I was shown. Um, so that's why we have all these dramas going on on Earth. It's like the undoing of all of that control. Thousands of years of control here on Earth is being undone. Right. I, I mean, in one, I'll call it a meditation, um, there was a little conversation of, of, you know, aliens needing help, but I was really shocked, I guess, at the time because they were reptilian ETs. And I, I'm like, okay, I know, universe, this is you're doing this because you obviously know that I have a bias. Uh, that I think all reptilians are bad. But then it was like, well, that's silly. It's like saying all white people are bad or all Chinese people are bad. Oh, our, you know? like, all white people like, are bad. I'm like, duh. <laughs> <laughs> so it was great to have that op- opportunity because they were like, you know, we're here, we need your help. And I don't even know what I did. It was a spiritual thing. But anyway, um, and I was like, oh, well, that's great because it just opened up my, you know, less, less and less judgment, more and more just openness, like just, take everyone for who they are now and, and, and have compassion. And so that was really great. And my, I do remember it was more or less along the lines of, um, you know, we are here to change our culture. Right. So, so we, we would, we would really appreciate your assistance to help us change the frequency or energy of our culture. That that's how I can translate it. And, you know, it was more like a thing, but uh, in English. Um, so anyway, so what you're saying really kind of, you know, really coincides with a lot of my experiences, which which I've never really told a whole bunch of people about, because sometimes it's just like I just do all these like mini, if you call them mini missions, you know, and it's like too many to document. So I'm just like, yeah, whatever. You know, I just keep doing it. And I said, so do I need to tell people? No. Okay. Do I need to tell people? No. You know, <laughs> if I do, then I'll put it on a YouTube channel or something. But most of the time, it's just a mini mission. We're done. Yeah, like one 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 planet was uh, like I sound like a crazy person sharing this, but you know, like one planet was they transported, uh, if you will, um, microbes um, to their planet to restore their I don't know I'll call it greenery, okay? But they couldn't get it to work because they they trans posed it from here and so I I got involved and I was like okay I'm not a botanist but let me see what I can do so I'm you know do my meditation thing I'm like oh yeah yeah so so when you transpose them they they go through a little bit of a shock because it's like a dimensional um you know that they see too many dimensions they're not used to it because we're really dense here in third dimension right so we just did a little correction so they could you know uh, recalibrate energetically the microbes so that they could be used for their planet so that's funny because i my judgment as well was like well they're really high tech like why should, like why don't they know that 
Well, you know, what you're saying totally jives with my experience and what I've been told because I was told the reason that Earth has such a huge diversity of life is because it's a genetic repository to seed life in other mm. planets. So what you're saying makes absolute sense. You know, I mean, you look around, <clears throat> I mean, even people like have been in secret space programs or had ET contact, and they're planets that have the, the level of diversity of life that Earth does are relatively rare in that they have to they can only exist in certain zones or areas in solar systems and in the cosmos and so but what i was told is that the yeah that there are lots and lots of genetic repositories throughout the cosmos that ETs use to see life elsewhere and that's part of the game that they play you know i mean that's why a, a lot of them are big into genetics and stuff is cuz it's it's what they yeah. do. Everybody are creators. We all want to create, and that's one of the ways that they create is by creating worlds and creating life forms and all kinds of stuff. Um, yeah, and also but what's the, interesting is that the human, like, you know, I guess the, the anti-bias, I suppose, was that I'm just a puny human, right? Like, why would they ever need my help? <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. You know, but I think humans are very creative. Like well, we're imaginative, also, we're creative, we have that emotion. Like there are some things that certain species don't have, so we complement each other. Yeah, that's true. And we also, um, we're not just the person that we are here on Earth. You know, it's like I was shown this, this kind of goes back to what you're talking about <clears throat> of being uh, phobic of other cultures. I, same thing, you know, it's like I, I, you know, was kind of leery of ETs. And then until they showed me other lifetimes I had where I was not human. I was like, oh, right. that blew my mind. Yep. <laughs> me too. We've all been other types of life forms, you know, over eons. We've evolved from lesser developed life forms up to more complex life forms, but they're not necessarily all human. And so we kind of have we to... we were not human. always benevolent in other lifetimes. Oh, yeah, definitely. I, they They pointed out several lifetimes of mine where I was doing very nasty things like... Um, they told me I was on the Council of Nicaea, which was a group of clerics that sliced the Bible up and took out all the empowering stuff and the feminine and you know the feminine aspects of God and that kind of stuff. So we've all been the bad guy. I, actually, they told me that because I was griping about the Bush family back in, when the Bushes were in power in the U.S. I was griping about them, and they said, well, actually, Ken, Take a higher level of consciousness to believe the bad guy in your reality. I was like, wow, I never thought about that. Wow. So we're we're all here playing games, you know, we're all playing roles. Playing a role. Above the obvious, you know, we've got this higher level of awareness and consciousness that we come into these to play these games of consciousness. So interesting. So, so Ken, let's get to the phones. We've got a couple of people with their hands up. Let me just uh, say the number. So if you want to have a little chat with Ken, 818-514-1190, hit 1. If you are on Skype, we're not unmuting you. So go ahead and use the phone. It's 818-514-1190 and hit 1. Um, and, uh, yeah, I, yeah we, we, I, we, last time I think we went pretty close to over, so... <laughs> So we we better do these now. I know okay. people have been patiently waiting, and it's just so interesting. So, uh, area code nine seven zero. Hi, who's this? Hi, this is Nan. How are you hey, doing? Hi, Nan. Karen, Ken, Ken, yeah, I can listen to you two all day. I'll tell you. <laughs> I know, I can listen to Ken all day, and I have. Yep. Awesome. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, yeah, really. 
So, uh, I, Ken, I have a question for you, and that is, I did uh, work with Laura on my uh, grays that have been affecting me that I think oh, I was bred fine. for. Yeah. And we haven't qu- quite gotten the grays out of me yet. She's thinking about how to do it, but I still have this plate in my head. She didn't see it at first, and then she said, oh, yeah, there's a plate in your skull, and it's porous. Hmm. I said, what kind of what kind of metal? She said, well, it, she said it's porous. Well, I'm thinking, well, metal can be porous. But it's causing me to walk funny, and uh, and my left arm, you know, my hand, left hand is weak, all that. So I'm wondering, how can I get these buggers out of me? These are grays. These are grays. Is, the, is the plate... Like, does it show up on x-rays and stuff? Is it, like, physically metal, or is it more... No, I haven't had any x-rays. I stay away from MDs except for Karen and one other person. (laughs) So how do you know know what it's made of and how it's porous? I don't. I don't. She she saw that it was porous. She saw that it was porous. Well, yeah. My my brain is affected, too. I mean, I guess there's some sort of stuff in my brain, too. But I can't think, and i got to get my... And then um, um, Kimla Lowe actually said that I have two months of um, <laughs> getting this new code download uh, c- codes downloaded, and I won't have a function and won't be able to think clearly for two months, which is ironic because I have to actually pack and move in two months. So um, ah, this is something I was going to say that she said. Um, ah, I can't remember it. Anyway, so. Um, yeah, I want to know how to get rid of these buggers. Well, um, for one thing, I would. Where, where do you? What area of the country do you live in? I'm in between Santa Cruz and San Francisco. Oh, okay. You're in a great area then for this. Um, I would find a quantum biofeedback uh, practitioner in your area, and um, I can help you with that. If you email me, or you can just go to my website on the services page at freshandalive.com, and there's a lady there named Gage Tarrant, and she's the quantum biofeedback trainer. I, she, I, I, I emailed her, and she didn't respond. I did okay. that. She's like, super busy, like, so you may have to yeah, I bet. I you bet. Know, repeatedly <laughs> you know, call her or email her. But um, And there, I do know some good practitioners in the Los Angeles area, but that's a distance from you. Um but at any rate, I'm sure California is loaded with good quantum biofeedback practitioners. Find a good one, and then I would get zapped like every week because these ETs are very sensitive to frequency. And um, you, I believe you've also got my devices, like my rash shields around you. Yeah, boy, you have a memory. Yes. Yeah. I, I got the rash shield when Laura said it changed her life. Yeah. So, you know, told me. And so I got yeah. it. I didn't really notice the difference because I'm I just walking around with this chunk of lead in my head. Well, you not may not. If they've, if they've implanted you or something like that, it may not, you know, it may not bother them. But mm. in my experience, you know, they're very sensitive to frequency. And so if you can keep a sustained frequency that they don't like, and it also depends on why they're so attached to you, you know. But basically, if you can negate the reasons for them wanting to mess with you, then they'll go away. But I would, if you're zapping them with quantum biofeedback every week for a period of time and doing everything you can to raise your frequency, ingest monoatomic elements, for example, that will um, help raise the 
conductivity in the body and also get on a raw food diet for a while. You know, like go 100% raw living food with high chlorophyll, lots of juices and that kind of thing and alkalize the body and that will open up the meridians. It will decalcify the pineal gland and it will help. I'm very, va- I'm very Vata now and I tried, you know, raw food. I think I had a little bit of COVID also. So I, I, I just couldn't do the raw. I couldn't do the raw. Well, you can um, into I'm doing wheatgrass because of you. I, I go down to Santa Cruz and get wheatgrass every Good. Wednesday. I'm but doing that every know, morning. You can transition to a at least 80% raw food diet because, like, for example, I've got type O blood, and everybody says, you know, you can't do raw on type O, and you got to have meat and all that, and it's nonsense. When you heal the glands, when you heal the endocrine system, when you heal up the nervous system and the brain and the body, then you can do all kinds of things, and norms also will change for you, like medical norms. Yeah, medical norms will change. Um, Like, you know, what is considered a normal um, blood pressure or um, certain things that, you know, most people, you know, would be considered normal, that will change for you. Um, I, I saw that working at Hippocrates Institute. When people get really, really healthy, their blood norms change, all kinds of stuff changes. But so don't don't tie into any belief that you can or can't do something. Um, explore yeah. it and definitely trust your intuition on things. But the more you clean your body out and the more you heal it up and the more you open up the pineal gland to decalcify the body, the more energetically you're going to, the more powerful you're going to be. And then these various things like quantum biofeedback or whatever or just meditation and those kinds of things are going to have more of an impact. But if they're really... If they're really wanting to latch on to you for some specific purpose, then you may have to get some help like Laura Van Tyne or also John Vivanco. You might check him out. John Vivanco is a friend of mine. He's very interesting. He's got a professional, he's got a company that does professional remote viewing. And he has had a lot of experiences with ETs himself personally, like physically. And so he he knows how to deal with them quite a bit. And uh, he's, he's also had a lot of encounters with ETs doing remote viewing, sometimes by accident. So he might have some insights that could help you as well. Uh, and his name, his last name is V-I-V-A-N-C-O, John Vivanco. Okay. You can see okay. videos of him on, on YouTube. Website? His, ah, his website is... Gosh, so is, is he linked to your website? Because you have a, you have a... Uh, no, he's not. He's not. Oh, I should link to him, but uh, he's not at the moment. Um uh, actually, let me. I can see. I think I can pull okay. up his. So Nan, well, 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 considering that, um, just another thought. Yeah. Um, I've had cases mm-hmm. where um, the person feels, uh, and and it can be read remotely from another person as well. It's actually happening in another timeline. Mm. So it's still you, but it's you in another timeline, and you may or may not be okay. human. So, you know, I talk about, like, this one person could swear, like, in bed, they thought that there was a big 80-pound dog jumping in their bed. And they said, I don't have a dog, <laughs> you know. And so I was like, okay, we were thinking of some sort of entity or, you know, ET interference or something like that. But it wasn't. The actual per- the person had a dog in another timeline. Now, in that case, it was a parallel timeline. But it's possible that you may have even agreed to this in another timeline, but you can actually feel what's going on in your other time. I'm not saying it is. I'm just saying just think about it, the possibility. Um, okay. Because, uh, yeah, because right now we've converged all of our timelines, and um, it can be quite um, 
curious uh, what people are feeling. And, in fact, you know, this is becoming more and more and more of an issue, quote-unquote issue. So Darius and I are going to be talking about it April 11th when I do that launch because it's Ooh, becoming goody. way too common. Okay. Anyway, so just, just two cents, anyway, for what that yeah, was. I actually, I actually felt – thank you for that. I actually – might be a second thing I have to look at. I actually felt the energy coming into my head when they were pumping this stuff into my head. I actually felt it in four places on May 7th last year. I actually felt it coming in. And since my mother was an abductee, which multiple um, healers have told me, I get that I that I was bred for energy harvest harvesting. I get it. That's why I've had so much more energy than most people, like astoundingly much more energy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I think it's thing. like a lot. It's a lifelong thing. Laura said, in, since in utero they've been with me. <laughs> they've been messing with me and I really you know, I'm an old lady and I, I want a life. <laughs> well just keep in mind they can't they can't violate universal law. So if you stand up for yourself and you don't allow it at some point they're gonna to have to let go. And I found John Vavanko's um website. It's right hemispheric dot com. He's a really, really fascinating guy. Okay, that's great. great. Right, Okay, we have to move on, Nan, but thank you so much. All right. All right, thank you. Thank you, thank you. Thank you both. Thank you. Good luck, Nan. Okay, so we we have time for one more color, I hope. (laughs) Let's see, area code 315. Hello. 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 Hey there. Can you hear me, Ken? Yes. Yes. Hey. Um, Ken, I'm calling because I've always known that pyramids were made by aliens and that even that humans came from aliens too. But I wondered if you could tell me, do the measurements of the pyramid matter? And if so, what is the basic formula? And also, moreover, the direction. Uh, I've heard mixed messages. Is it the point that faces north or the side of the pyramid? Okay, well, a pyramid is an antenna. And so, like any antenna, it can be tuned to different frequencies. So, by changing the size and the angles of the pyramid, uh, that will tune it to different frequencies. And in general, you want to tune it to something that's going to be beneficial, obviously. And um, Valery Uvarov who's a Russian pyramid scientist, is really an expert in this because he's built lots and lots of pyramids. And I've had conversations with him telling me about this. Um, and actually, I'll probably confer with him when I build some large pyramids of my own. But the, So understanding that it's a pyramid, I mean, that it's an antenna can be tuned, <clears throat> and you tune it by changing the the angle and the height or the size <clears throat> and the materials that it's made of. And you will pick up different frequencies and broadcast different frequencies because what a pyramid does is capturing that energy coming from the center of the earth and from the sun and the cosmos, and then it rebroadcasts it in a toroidal field around the pyramid, and it also sends a scalar vortex up through the tip. And we know this because, for one thing, um, I've worked with Sam Osmanagic at the Bosnian Pyramids, and uh, I've been on a team of engineers and scientists where we actually measured this energy so we know what's going on. And there's been other people that have done it. So 
Um, so if you want a pyramid for healing and meditation, it's going to be different than um, a pyramid maybe for other purposes. And But the simple... The simple proportions that usually are are most useful for people is either use what's called a fee ratio pyramid or a phi ratio pyramid, which is a taller, skinnier pyramid, um, or a um, um, pi ratio pyramid, which is like at the the Pyramid of Giza. Um, And then you can... A simple, simple way to figure that out. I mean, the, what what that means, by the way, is a phi ratio or, or a pi ratio is the ratio of the height to the leg of the of the pyramid. Uh, so, but a simple way to figure that out, or a simple way to build one, is just to take four equilateral triangles and put them together to make a pyramid, uh, and that's kind of a good all-purpose pyramid. Uh, shape for pretty safe too. Yeah, for meditating or whatever. And then, as far as aligning it with, you want to align it with true north, not magnetic north, which is the axis that the Earth spins on, as opposed to magnetic north. Magnetic north bounces around a lot, for one thing. And then um, you can you can align either a face with true north, or you can align a corner with true north. I've seen both, um, and I'm not sure what the difference is in function. Um, but I know, like at the Bosnian pyramids, for example, their uh, I believe their corners are aligned with true north. So um, I'm sure you can study that. Maybe, particularly if you if you read any of Sam Osmanagic's books or uh, Valery Uvarov and look at his work, they work with pyramids enough that they would know what the especially Valery he would know what the purposes of the you know aligning it different ways are. But it definitely makes a difference because what you're doing is aligning it with the scalar field of the Earth, and that energy is flowing in and out of the poles. So it uh, it does make a difference. Awesome. And can you spell Sam? Last yeah, name? it's uh, it's his name is Samir S E M I R Osmanagic. He's Bosnian. It's B O S M A N A G. I see. And if you just search Thank on you. Bosnian Pyramids website, you can find his website. I think it's pyramids nunca n u n c a dot b a. I believe it is. Um, but yeah, he's and he's got tons and tons of YouTube videos and stuff where they're always discovering new things at the Bosnian Pyramids. Great. Thank you so much. You're very welcome. Okay, so I think our time is just about up. Thanks, everyone, uh, for these are really, really great questions. And, and, you know, if you still have a question for Ken that didn't get answered, if you could post it in the light or your network underneath the radio show so I know where to find it and just tag me, I'll forward that to Ken. (laughs) Um, Because, I mean, Ken, honestly, I mean, we may have to have another show just on talking to aliens because <laughs> there's so many questions still I have to ask you or want to ask you um, and I know you're you're up for it so I do appreciate you for that and and uh, it's been so so interesting um, and I'm getting I, I sort of spring this on you last I just want to make a comment not necessarily a question is that recently in one of my healing meditations I got that we are going through what's called a dimensional convergence and it's similar to uh, one of the superhero movies Thor um, 
uh, called the the dark side or dark world, yeah, where the nine realms come together. I mean, that, that was only about you know sixty or seventy percent accurate, but but basically that the um, we should be able to see with our naked eyes and be able to communicate better to the other dimensions through this period of time that we're going through, where all the dimensions are converging, different from timeline convergence, which is what I talked about earlier. But anyway, that's the message that I got. So uh, unfortunately, I'm in a really really small place. I'm not really sure that the uh, the aliens necessarily be around. I just haven't. Oh, yeah, they're telling me you should go outside more. Anyway, <laughs> so if you really want to see some aliens, just keep your eyes open, guys, because we're supposed to be able to see and communicate much, much easier and faster than we've ever had before in our lifetime. Anyway, that's what I wanted to Yeah, there's probably a lot that are human-looking walking around that you don't even know. Oh, For that, example, that's true. I had a friend recently who was psychic. She was walking along a river. There was like a sidewalk on a river like a half hour north of me, and she encountered a reptilian who looked human, but she could see through it. So they're yeah, all right. Yeah, we should be able to to see. Yeah, and and you know, it's 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 kind of an exciting time. And he knew when she recognized him. Uh huh. He, he gave her this like glare, like you know, scowled at her and stuff. And she <laughs> she went on her way. Yep. Okay, I'm leaving now. <laughs> there, and I had another friend actually who didn't was not like psychically gifted or anything. She's in a bar in Wyoming, and I had told her my stories about reptilians, and she, I think, I didn't know if she believed or not, but she called me up one day and just excited as all get out because she was in a bar and she happened to sit down next to a guy and started talking to him about the state of the world and griping about it, and then she said. If it wasn't for those damn reptilians, and he looks over at her, and she said his eyes changed into reptilian eyes, and he said, "Not all reptilians are bad." <laughs> she freaked Whoa. out. So oh they're my around. gosh! That's of- great. That is awesome. <laughs> oh, thank you so much, Ken, for your time. Really appreciate uh, you. It's, uh, it's just so much fun. Um, yeah, looking forward to our next conversation. And um, yeah, thanks everyone for listening in to Light Warrior Radio. Until next time, lots of love, everyone. Bye.